This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we are so happy to once again be joined by the marvelous, the fantastic, the wonderful Bridget Todd. Award-winning Bridget Todd. (laughs) Award-winning and book-buying because I just bought your new book, Stuff I Never Told You, because I'm so excited. We were talking off mic about how excited I am. So add award-winning, comma, Stuff I Never Told You book purchasing to that name <laughs> of who I am. Yes. <laughs> of who I am. Thank you. Yes. It really, really means a lot. Um, yeah. And and we we are so excited to have you on. I just I I feel like we haven't seen you in forever, even though I know it's not true. Time flies. Yeah. So it's great. It's very, very great to have you as always. How have you been, Bridget? What's been going on? I know Ooh. you do have some awards, a potential case, trophy oh. case in the future. <laughs> yeah, don't say just case. That sounded really, I was like, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, do you know case. something about my legal right. situation? That's that right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was happy to take home the, not the winning award, but the second runner-up, whatever you want to call it, uh, Shorty Award for Best Tech and Science Podcast. Major shout-outs to our team, Joey yeah. and Tari and Jonathan and Mike. Also, speaking of Joey, I heard Joey on Stuff I'll Never Told You doing that episode about uh, COSA, and it was a really good episode. So they did kudos a great to job. all of y'all, yeah, for, for that one. Yeah, the summer is winding down, thank God. I'm really looking forward to fall. This summer didn't really take for me. How, <laughs> how has the summer been for y'all? You're asking while we're in the middle of, like, hurricane season? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we've yep. had a lot of rain, and a lot more rain is coming today, especially in this week. So I will say, though, as a person who does enjoy, like, some of the somber 
parts of the weather, like the like the darkness and the lightning. As long as I'm not near it, because I do have a small fear of that lightning. Um, I am much like my dog, but the heat, <laughs> I'm good without it. But I do have a fear of winter in that I don't like being cold. So Ooh. I feel like that's too close too. So I'm just an unhappy person, Bridget. <laughs> you don't like any of the seasons. You're like winter, don't care for it. Summer, don't like, care I for it. I love fall and spring, but it's so short that I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm unhappy again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm ready for like it's it's been so hot in DC. I'm I'm so yeah. ready to like be contemplative with a sweater and like walk around holding a coffee and like you know <laughs> all the little all the things that you associate with fall. I'm ready for. Right. Well, I am like a my personality is cardigan. Like that's just the personality <laughs> that I am. So I am looking forward to that too. Yeah, your your personality can really shine. It's true. <laughs> so excited. Poncho and cardigan. It's that's good. my lifestyle. <laughs> poncho, <laughs> a good poncho. And when I mean poncho, I'm talking like you know the sweater ponchos. Oh, I am that girl. Don't worry about me. I'll be in Ooh. my corner with my poncho and cardigans. Cozy <laughs> every day. It sounds great. <laughs> Annie, yes. how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm ready for it to be over as well. I was complaining about my. AC unit, uh, my window AC unit just now. But it, I do agree with you, Bridget. I didn't feel like it It took because I'm still, I am definitely going out more than I did, but uh, when the pandemic was like in full swing, but I'm still like, I don't go out nearly as often. So I don't go outside all the time. And so I'm just getting like the heat with my sad AC unit and not any of that other stuff. Yeah. So it doesn't, yeah, it just sort of felt like, oh, fall is coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, blink, blink. you miss it. Yeah. Um, and I fall's my favorite month of uh, season. Um, so I'm very, very excited for that. But yeah, it is supposed to uh, rain pretty badly today. And this, there might be thunder. The power oh. might go out. My power goes out all the time. Um, so we'll see. But I feel like it's appropriate for what we're talking about. Today. A little bit. Storms <laughs> on the horizon. Be aware. That is a masterful segue. You're a real pro. <laughs> Thank you. I have a very specific skill set, and it's like bad puns and some interesting segues. <laughs> transitioning. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that's a great transition because we got to be aware of all the different. Supreme Court legal challenges and storms on the horizon, one of which I am talking about today. And that's because the man who brought us the legal challenge that struck down affirmative action earlier this summer is back. And this time he is coming for grants and fellowships that support marginalized people. So you all probably recall that earlier this summer, back in June, the Supreme Court struck down affirmative action, ruling that race can no longer play a part in college admissions. Notably, the decision just applied to race. It did not apply to gender or things like legacy status or donor status being considered in the college admissions process. Separately, some colleges like Harvard have signaled that they might start reexamining the role that things like legacy status plays in college admissions in light of that Supreme Court ruling. Do you all remember this? Like, I remember when the ruling was struck down, how big it felt, especially being a big Supreme Court ruling about a year after the after Roe was struck down, it, fe- it felt mm-hmm. like, you know, one big torrent of rain and then another big torrent of rain. To continue right. your metaphor, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good metaphor. Nicely done. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it, it definitely did because that was at the end 
of the Supreme Court session. And there had just been a lot of, I mean, it turned out to be true, but a lot of fear around like, what will they do? Right. And it just made like all of these decisions in one day. In one day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's odd because I was absolutely alive and I think like talking about trying to get into school and having this whole conversation uh, when affirmative action was coming into debate to begin mm-hmm. with and to see it like this, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to be very transparent here, as growing up at, in a white household who are very conservative, not around any marginalized groups outside of me who they rescued and put that in air quotes out of like a marginalized uh, bad situation seeing what they were saying was fed into me and being like, yeah, I absolutely agree that I should not get, I don't want to be given a special spot because of my race. I want to earn it. Like I said that out loud to my family before I started college and any of that, not understanding what it really was. And I truly believe my parents believe that. I don't think my siblings believe that because they are educated and they understand. But I truly believe that because that was what was fed into me. So I have this real like, ugh, ick, Feeling about this whole action because the face of the uh, suit was an Asian man who was bitter, bitter little baby, that I I feel like so many ways about it. And then coming into college on my own and then understanding uh, what it truly was and realizing, oh, yeah, that stuff that I spewed out as a kid was actual white supremacy coming out of my mouth because I was trying to impress my white family uh, and being fed a bunch of lies. So it was it felt like so gross to know that I was manipulated like that at my young age. <laughs> at my young age, I'll say that. And I think, I don't know how old this dude is. I guess he was trying to get into college. So I guess maybe around the same time. Um, and then coming into this now that I'm like, oh my God, what have we done? Essentially, like with allowing these types of lies to perpetuate and not looking at the true statistics behind these actual uh, numbers and, and why affirmative action was and is necessary. But again, because of that rhetoric being around, it wasn't surprising that it was undone because it was truly hanging on by a thread because of those types of lies. But it, yeah, I, I have like this ache and like mourning and guilt, guilt by association and guilt by like past actions that I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Like part of what I was spewing is part of the reason this is undone. Of course, the bigger picture is, again, white supremacists um, and their power that they wanted to play and, and the overall arcing, like, uh, who is tr- who is doing the main grab and trying to make sure that w- marginalized people stay down and stay um, unable to get to any of these places because they do not have the connections. Essentially, it's just all connections. Not even money anymore. It's like connections. And it's just disgusting. So, yeah, I have very strong feelings. <laughs> yeah. I, I First of all, thank you for sharing that. And I, I can kind of identify, I know how you feel. I don't think that you need to have guilt for having felt that way because, first of all, we live in a, in a society where it's so easy to pit marginalized people against right. each other in service of upholding white supremacy. Like, that is a tried and true method that bad actors and people interested in upholding white supremacy have engaged for a very long time. And so the reason they do it is because it's effective. And so it's not surprising that it will be effective on you, a young person. Also, the way that we talk about it, I think, just does not set people up to have a full understanding of the conversation, right? right? So we talk so much about affirmative action. And when we talk about affirmative action, usually the face of affirmative action is a Black person, right? And so we're talking about like, oh, well, do you think that Black people should get a leg up in in admissions processes? 
of course people are not gonna not gonna agree with that. But the reality is, is that that is a myth because the Department of Labor shows right. that the primary beneficiaries of affirmative action are actually white women. Mm-hmm. That is not what the way that our the way that we talk about it would lead you to believe, right? And so another idea is that when we talk about admissions, so I would say this is just my opinion, but I would say that there is an outsized space given to conversations about affirmative action, which, as I said, are sort of translated through like, oh, Black people, like they're the face of it. And so much less space given to things like legacy status, which I, I, th- I, I had a stat earlier, but it's some astronomical amount of kids right. in college get there because they are their parents went to that college or right. their parents are donors to that college or some sort of a leg up. And Essentially, what that is, is like affirmative action for rich people. Yeah, right. we don't even, it's not even part of the conversation and certainly has not been part of the conversation the way that affirmative action has been. So I would argue right. that like you were not given a clear picture of the issue in order to be able to like thoughtfully come up with a critique or an opinion about it, right? It's just, and, right. I, and I think that that has to be by design. Right, absolutely. I think in, in the understanding, as you were saying, is that the rhetoric I was given was all anti-Black. Like, mm-hmm. we were going to be very, very specific in calling it what it was. It wasn't about anything else. It wasn't about me being a minority or, or like, being Asian and a, a marginalized uh, woman. It's literally, they were trying to be anti-Black. They were saying the quiet part out loud because that's all they see. That's the the big enemy that is built up against white people, which is so disgusting and, and is very prevalent. Like, that's the, that's the real understanding. We need to have that whole fact and whole that conversation is this is an anti-black movement and in that it had it did not it did not actually help the black community that much at all it really did not bring in as you said statistically black people into colleges it was again more white women all white women essentially um and then again the legacy people those those are the people who are still remaining and going to colleges and still getting scholarships to get into these colleges and still getting like loans at a reasonable uh interest rate all of those things but for some reason they built this boogeyman not some reason we know why but they (laughs) built a boogeyman in order to make sure that they put down a specific group of people because they're like, hey, this is a battle we can win. We've always won with this battle. Exactly. Let's do this. Anti-Blackness is always, that is a train that is always on time. So what's interesting about what you just said is that white women, despite being the biggest beneficiaries of affirmative action, are also the most likely to be against it. So according to a 2014 cooperative congressional election study, nearly 70 percent of the 20,694 self-identified non-Hispanic white women surveyed either somewhat or strongly opposed affirmative action. Again, I think it's like one of those situations where because the way that it is framed is like, this is a program that helps Black people. And if you don't think Black people should be getting a leg up over you, you should not be into it. You should be against it. That rhetoric actually ends up hurting all marginalized people, whether you're a white woman, because, you know, like it's one of those dynamics where the anti-Blackness becomes a way to get people on board. But then that is not an accurate reflection of who the beneficiaries of programs like affirmative action actually end up being. Right. So, Annie, you were saying how Asian Americans were kind of made the face of the sort of victims of affirmative action. And that is very much by design because of this guy who is a conservative litigant named Edward Blum. 
I call him a litigant because that's like kind of what he is, like a professional lawsuit bringer. He is not a lawyer himself, but he basically connects potential plaintiffs with attorneys who are willing to represent them in test cases, which he then uses to try to set legal precedents. He is the founder and sole member of an organization called Project on Fair Representation, which he founded in 2005, which focuses on voting, education, contracting, employment, racial quotas, and racial reparations. Basically, his whole thing is bringing legal challenges to strike down laws that I would argue protect non-white, non-straight, non-men. More on this later. However, if you were to ask him, he would probably say that it's not that he wants to elevate, like, one race over anybody else, but that he wants all laws and all, like, public considerations to be race or identity neutral. He has described his ethos like this, quote, Our history has been tainted tragically by the use of race in various public and private arenas. Race discrimination is odious, something the founding principles of the civil rights movement were designed to eliminate. Uh, Personally, I would say that I don't know if I buy what he is saying. It seems like an awfully convenient way to justify the fact that he keeps gutting laws that protect marginalized people. But there you have it. That is what he says his motivation is. He just thinks that everything should be race neutral. The Guardian describes him as, quote, a human wrecking ball on a mission to destroy the landmark achievements of the civil rights era and send the country back to a dark age of discrimination and harassment of minorities in the workplace, in higher education, and at the ballot box. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is the very basis of hitting that level of if everything was fair from the beginning, Mm -hmm. great, great. If everything was equal and everybody had same equity— That would be a beautiful utopia. But as we know, this land, this country, most countries uh, that have been um, colonized is not based on that level and that it has never been about equity. It's always been about who has power and those who have power really was like, but I love that time. That was was a great time. Why can't we have that again? Which is like, "Mm, you know, we know what you're really saying. Exactly. Right. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast. 
to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The affirmative action ruling was not Blum's first rodeo. A legal challenge that he brought was what led to the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. That was the Shelby County versus Holder case that he sponsored in 2013. And it led to the Supreme Court overturning a key provision in the 1965 Voting Rights Act. That legal challenge is when we saw the introduction of things like voter ID requirements, cutting back on early voting, eliminating same-day voter registration. All of that was because of him. So... Thank you, Edward Blum, for ushering that in to our landscape. He's really the villain. Yeah. <laughs> in all this story. On my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, we refer to him a lot as just like a professional hater. Like, he's yeah. just someone who like, just like, hate, 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 hate. Like, oh, I don't like that. Hate, hate, hate. Like, professional hater. Is he? Does he is he very rich? I think he's wealthy. Like, I think, okay. I think that he, I've actually looked into him because I'm, he's one of those figures that I find so curious. He did not come from wealth, but I think that he has wealth now. And he's just interested in using that wealth and influence and those connections into creating these different legal precedents that I would say harm us all. Right. He is that evil genius because we've seen that in a lot of conservative think tanks, uh, as well as essentially uh, right-wing groups that have been building up the legal system to only help them, putting in uh, those in law school that they know that they can pull back out, educating them and funding them to the full in order to come back out and do these types of cases, knowing that if they can do this, this is going to be the basis of how they win, essentially. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Did you guys, did you all see that um, docu-series on the Duggars on Hulu? No, I couldn't get to there yet. So, the, <laughs> That's so the whole it's, thing. It's, I feel it's, like. a, it's a real, like, doozy, as you might imagine. <laughs> yeah, but <sure. laughs> one of the things they make very clear is that it's not just about, like, this one problematic, super religious family on TV. It is about this vast network of young people who are being, like, trained and educated and also are very well connected to reach the highest levels of government and influence to make laws for all of us. So it's not enough that, like, their kids are homeschooled or that their kids live a certain way. They are training the next generation of political operatives and lawmakers to make sure that all of us and all of our kids live the way that they think that they should be living. So it's pretty, I guess, um, diabolical (laughs) is the word I would use. You mentioned earlier how when you were 
having conversations about college, you remember watching the the first wave of the affirmative action legal challenge go down. And even if folks weren't following affirmative action very closely, they might remember Blum's earlier attempt to challenge it. So Blum had been working to challenge affirmative action since 2013 when he worked with this woman, Abigail Fisher, who was the daughter of a good friend of his, who was a white woman. She, you might remember she had red hair. Um, she did not get into University of Texas because her GPA was, frankly, mid. She sued the University of Texas at Austin in 2008 after it denied her admission. She had a 3.59 GPA as a senior, which put her just below the cutoff for a state law requiring UT to accept any graduate in the top 10% of their high school class. So, like, mathematically speaking, she was not in the top 10% of her high school class. She felt that she should have still gotten admission because of her extracurricular activities combined with her GPA um, and that she would have gotten into UT if the university had not used race as a factor in selecting its freshman class, um, which she argued was a violation of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. Um, do you all remember this? Like, she was like a very, like, memorable figure. Like, I, like, I feel like when I when I hear about this, I can just see this one image of her standing at a podium outside of the Supreme Court, which is, like, burned in my mind. I, I do remember this because I remember thinking, this is the dumbest argument I've ever seen because I'm like girl you didn't make it like even without affirmative action you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have made it do you not understand how many people are struggling to get into college today because a little more access has happened not just because of affirmative action but like the lottery and all of those things when we had more scholarships I was just like why are people listening to her I think that was the biggest question in my head I was like why are we paying attention to this like she has no case I think I thought I remember thinking, like, is this an onion headline? <laughs> like, she didn't get it because <laughs> her grades are bad and now she's suing. <laughs> I think that was the beginning of like, oh, this is a Becky. Sorry, Becky's in the world. That's really just whining because she couldn't get her way. Like that, I yeah. remember like that was yeah. the beginning of that of like, oh, sorority girl. Again, no, 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 no hate to sorority people. I'm so sorry. But you know, that level like stereotype in that my daddy said that I could get in and now I'm not in. Why? So yeah. the way that y'all are reacting is exactly how I, re I I'm this is validating because I remember her being treated like kind of a joke. Like her GPA was like fine, but certainly a three point. Like it was a lot higher than my GPA was when I was in high school. So like I'll own that. But like <laughs> you know, it's not three point five nine is not an automatic entrance to wherever you want to go to college. It's like a fine GPA. And so I remember people calling her Becky with the bad grades and the vibe <laughs> around her, her was it like. She was just salty that she didn't get in. And so really? she was like blaming black people. And so obviously she was not a very, I guess, sympathetic legal challenge to affirmative action. And so obviously Abigail's legal challenge did not work. So Bum regrouped and made the strategic choice to make the face of affirmative action or the people being harmed by affirmative action, according to him, Asian Americans. According to an NPR article, he told a gathering of the Houston Chinese Alliance in 2015, quote, I needed plaintiffs. I needed Asian plaintiffs. NPR spoke to Hene Lopez, a race and constitutional law scholar at Berkeley, who described this as a deliberate switch in strategy and that the argument was no longer centered on how affirmative action impacts white people. Instead, quote, there's this move to strengthen the surface argument that this is racism against minorities. I think it's part of the appeal. And so I've read like um, Asian American activists and advocates saying that like, he what what he was doing was this intentional shift 
to make Asian Americans like a sta- like a proxy stand-in for white people to be like, oh no, like I this can't be about racial animus because I am trying to advocate for Asian Americans. And I, again, I think it's a really great example of how effective a strategy it is to pit marginalized groups against one another in service of white supremacy. Uh, because in the end, it's not like, I think since affirmative action has been struck down, we've already seen data trickle in. That wasn't that long ago, but already we've seen data trickle in that suggests that like, yeah, it's it's white people with connections, it's white legacy students who are continuing to get more slots in admissions. It's it's not, you know, it's it's certainly not helping the Asian Americans who who brought this challenge. It's actually just opening up more slots for more rich white people because that's how college works in the United States. Right. And of course, this play is being used by uh, other uh, places such as Florida do, doing the Asian American history instead, but blacklisting African-American history. And we know what that play is. That That's that same type of narrative. They're like, oh, this is working. Let's try this. Let's keep this going. Exactly. So I really wanted to talk about, so after, on the heels of successfully getting the Supreme Court to strike down affirmative action, what is Blum's next move? Well, he is back after gutting affirmative action. His next move is going after fellowships and grant programs that support marginalized people. He is suing two corporate law firms, on the grounds that their fellowship programs that are aimed at students of color, those who identify as LGBTQ+, and students with disabilities exclude applicants based on race, and he is demanding that those programs be shut down. Um, He is also suing a Black venture capital firm called the Fearless Fund. So this is kind of the meat of why I wanted to bring this conversation to the table today, because he is alleging that the Fearless Fund is practicing unlawful racial discrimination. Blum claims the Fearless Fund is engaged in explicit racial exclusion by operating a grant program, quote, only open to Black females. According to the Washington Post, the lawsuit is asked to prevent the fund from selecting its next round of grant winners. The claim states that the firm is, quote, violating Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, a U.S. law barring racial bias in private contracts by making only Black women eligible in the grant competition. So, yeah, he's just like, coming after anything that he sees as supporting non-white people. The Fearless Fund was launched in 2019 by three prominent Black women, Keisha Knight-Pullman, who you might remember as Rudy Huxtable on The Cosby Show, uh, entrepreneur Arian Simone, and corporate executive Ayanna Parsons. Um, They have a strong and impressive list of investors like Bank of America, Costco, General Mills, MasterCard, J.P. Morgan— Uh, They've invested in over 40 businesses in the past four years, including Atlanta favorite, the Slutty Vegan. Have y'all eaten there? Oh, yeah. It was near my house. Samantha That I lived, yeah. Samantha was smart and went during the Super Bowl. So there was no one there. (laughs) So they they stay open until 2 a.m. And so when the Super Bowl, because it's always packed out. And I, we went at, uh, it still took forever. (laughs) They make good food. It takes a while. Uh, But yeah, we went. I think they've only been once, though. It's, I don't stand in lines. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long line. I've never been, but I, I, but I want to play. <laughs> and she has expanded that business everywhere, especially in Atlanta <laughs> and in Georgia. So good on her. And owns a lot of property. <laughs> that wouldn't be possible without the Fearless Fund. And so um, the lawsuit that Blum is bringing centers on the Fearless Fund's 
Fearless Drivers Grant Contest, which awards Black women who own small businesses $20,000 in grants and digital tools to help them grow their businesses and mentorship opportunities. So interestingly enough, Blum did not seek out the Fearless Fund to sue, but rather he says that a non-Black woman who runs a business reached out to him via email and flagged like, did you know that these Black women are running a grant program that I can't be part of? And so the Washington Post reports that the lawsuit cites three female business owners, one from New York and two from Virginia, who argue that they could have benefited from the Fearless Fund's grant program, but they were ineligible because they are not Black. So yeah, these non-Black women basically just felt like they should be, be entitled to this grant program that Black women established for themselves to support Black women. They were like, we should have a piece of that. That's such an interesting take because I'm like, well, you also didn't get it from every other <laughs> business <laughs> grant ever. So why mm-hmm. are you choosing this? Like, you, did you try for it? This just seems like a lazy part of like, I want this one thing. I couldn't get it. I quit. They're, they're biased. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, this is just my opinion. And, but like, it's so hard to not see this as like just hater vibes. Like yeah. everything has to be for you. And if it's not for you, you have to shut it down. I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the women who benefit from affirmative action are also the ones who are the most likely to be against it. I firmly believe that there is enough out there for all of us. And I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So I, I know how hard the funding space is for women, all women, and but I know how hard it is for Black women in particular as a Black woman. We'll get into some of the stats in just a moment, but I believe that despite that, there is enough for everyone. Everyone will find their lane. Everyone will find their people. Everyone will find what they need to make what they want happen. I, I believe that as like a, like a meditation that keeps me in this work and, and keeps me being an entrepreneur. But I feel like the dynamic that says that women need to be pit against each other, that if you're a white woman, you need to be trying to shut down a grant that is for Black women, that's not a dynamic that helps any anybody, right? And so I think that we all have our place, we all have our niche, there's enough for all of us, but that dynamic that we are enemies only ser- that does not serve anybody. It doesn't serve me, it doesn't serve, it, it ultimately won't serve them as either. It, it just keeps us pit against each other as opposed to these larger systems that are actually holding us all down. It's such a mind play that they have to, people have to go through to be like, okay, I can't get this one thing because they say I can't have it. So that means no one should have it because I'm going to be miserable. And so are you. Misery loves company. We're going to keep this mentality going. And then also not look at the like, here's the small thing versus the giant amount of stuff that you also can't get because you're not a rich white man. But you don't care about that thing. Like, that's the one thing. It's a little bit more accessible to tear someone down who other people will help you tear down with instead of this big, giant amount of cash that's just sitting here for the white man. Like, it's just, I said for the white man like I'm a native. Uh, But like, (laughs) but you know, that's just like mind level of like how much you're willing to ignore to be like, okay, I'm at the bottom. Who can I make lesser than me? Who can I push down further than me? So at the very least, I'm not at the very bottom. Oh my God. That's just such a mind trick. 
This reminds me of when I was a little kid and my brother had this like free coupon for an ice cream from McDonald's that he got from school. So we went to McDonald's together and he got one ice cream and I didn't have any money because we were little kids. And so they gave him his ice cream and I got very jealous. And so I smacked it out of his hand onto the ground. And he was like, (laughs) I was going to give you a bite. (laughs) And so like, because I was like, I don't want him to get something that I can't have. It, right. This is not a flattering story, but I was like seven years old. <laughs> right. Because That's I, fair. I it's, like, it's like he was going to give me a bite. So I missed out on getting my bite because I could not just let him have something that I wanted and felt entitled right. to. Immediately. And probably <laughs> earned. Yes. I'm thinking about Accelerator Reader. Like you get those yeah, pizzas. He, That's it a was damn exactly pizza. what it was. Like it was like, a, like if you read X amount of books, you get an ice, an ice cream coupon or something. <laughs> I work for this. Uh, but yeah, I think this is so interesting. And the fact that he, of course, Blum had to pounce on this. I'm sure it was like, oh, a gift for him. Yes. Like, I must take this. He was like, oh, I was looking for a way to spread my hater vibes. And yeah. after that Supreme Court ruling, and now this lands, this gift lands in my inbox. And also makes me stronger, stronger than the women who's complaining. Exactly. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Blum is using what he has called, quote, the shoe on the other foot test. The rhetorical strategy that he asks himself is, if a grant program funded white male business owners, would it be considered fair? But that test, like you were saying, Sam, really assumes that we are all equal and all have equal access, which the data could not paint a clearer picture about the fact that that is not happening. Black women are the fastest rising group of entrepreneurs in the country, according to the Harvard Business Review in the U.S. An astounding 17% of Black women are in the process of starting or running a new business. That's compared to just 10% of white women and 15% of white men. Yet, despite this lead, only 3% of women are running mature businesses. Why? Well, one big reason is access to capital. Harvard Business Review's research found that 61% of Black women self-fund their total startup capital. This is in spite of the fact that in their finding— Only 29% of Black women entrepreneurs live in households with incomes over $75,000, compared to 52% of white men. Um, This data is also combined with data suggesting that Black women are less likely to own our own homes, uh, take on a higher level of debt to do things like go to college, and are often, like, saddled with debt to go to college, right? And so, ultimately, that leaves us saddled with more debt and having fewer personal resources and low collateral Black entrepreneurs typically receive less than 2% of all venture capital dollars each year, while companies led by Black women receive less than 1% of all funding. This is according to Crunchbase. So yeah, the funding landscape is not great for Black women. Less than 1% of funding goes to us. And so the fact that we already don't get that much, that there are grants and investment funds specifically aimed at shifting those numbers just a tiny bit, like the Fearless Fund, and that people are saying, no, we need to go for that too. That less than 1% that goes to y'all, that needs to go to us now. In 2020, Pew found that just 3% of U.S. businesses were Black-owned, while 86% were White-owned. And so, yeah, as I said, like, as an entrepreneur, this these kind of dismal numbers completely align with my own experiences trying to raise money for projects that I want to do. There's just not a lot out there, and you really have to stay focused and stay positive and not really let the sort of numbers around how dismal things can be kind of get in your head. But then on top of it, when you have people like Blum and these women that he's representing in this case to challenge these funds, to challenge what little is out there for Black entrepreneurs who are women, it's hard to internalize that as anything other than they don't want us here. They don't want us to have anything, you know? Yeah. 
Absolutely. And it's so frustrating, too, because a lot of companies like to act like they are supporting marginalized people. Um, They are supporting Black people. um, And they make these, like, outward promises and then just don't really follow through with them. Yeah, y'all might remember or be thinking, like, I thought in 2020, like, after all the racial justice uprisings in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, I thought that all these businesses and funds and grants were, like, going to start funding more diverse people and, like, having a more inclusive portfolio. Well, I remember all those promises, too. Businesses committed $340 billion between May 2020 and October 2022, according to McKinsey. And the Post also reports that investment swelled in the startup world. A record $5.1 billion in funding was allocated to Black-founded startups in 2021. That sounds like a lot. However, all of that interest and excitement and commitment pretty much eroded very quickly, with funding for Black-founded startups plunging 50% in 2022. So remember, this is all happening against the pendulum kind of swinging back the other way, where all of these corporate diversity efforts became a political lightning rod, and these employers just sort of backpedaled, right? And so I think that that's where we're at now, where in 2020, people talked a lot of big games about money they were going to give and funds they were going to give and how they were going to you know, support inclusive people and startups and yada, yada, yada. And all of those promises just fizzled out, right? And I think that we're sort of seeing, I would argue, like a backlash to that now where diversity and inclusion staffers are being let go. I think like recently, Chick-fil-A just like happened to have a diversity and inclusion person on their staff. And like there was a a flurry of like online protests because of that, like just having somebody thinking about that on staff is now a lightning rod. And so obviously in that kind of climate, these organizations are not going to be funding Black women, even though they committed to it, even though it seemed like that was there was a lot of excitement around that. Like, yeah, I just think that we're in a completely different landscape than we were in 2020. I mean, this is definitely that whole level of they want good publicity, but they're not going to follow through. It's the Black Square. Let me pretend like I care. And at the very least, I'll be like, hey, let's tell the Black people. End of story. Like, that's, that's, that's as far as their, their actual uh, actions went, was putting something on Instagram that they obviously deleted soon after because they wanted to look okay for one group of people. And I found that interesting that people are mad at Chick-fil-A because it's like, they're anti-LGBTQ <laughs> plus, so that's not enough for you. They need to be racist. Yes. Like, all of these things have to be in line <laughs> for us to support you. You better be super, super racist and super, super uh, homophobic in order for the conservatives. You better hate everyone, except for white says people. Yeah. If not, we're not going to support you. That even if your chicken is okay. So it, and like, this is a little like unrelated, but like, I think that with a lot of these people, the Chick-fil-A example that you just gave is a great example. A lot of these people, like, just they'll find anything to be aggrieved about. Like, you know, I, I saw like Cracker Barrel was adding plant-based sausage to their menu and people were like, plant-based sausage. I'm not going to shop at Cracker Barrel and I'm never going to go to Cracker Barrel again. And it's like, they're not taking regular sausage off the menu. You don't have to order it. <laughs> just just because they're putting food on the menu that like someone else might like that's not you, that's cause for, for upset. And so another thing I wanted to say about your point, Sam, is that there's a makeup company, Tarte. They got in hot water earlier this year because they were doing these brand trips that looked, it looked as if 
they were not being inclusive of Black influencers, that they were asking Black influencers, like, after the fact to come and, like, giving them substandard accommodations and all of that. And somebody found that in 2020, you know, they when they posted their Black Square, this company was like, we pledge that we're going to be more inclusive and give more, do more partnerships with Black and Brown models and blah, blah, blah. And then they quietly removed that from their website. But somebody found it on the Wayback Machine. It was like, oh, let's get a update on all of these like very specific commitments that you made. And it turns out that they basically just like didn't do any of that stuff. But the thing is, nobody put a gun to your head and forced you to make these commitments. You you made these commitments and just to quietly be like, mm, just kidding. Like, that doesn't sit right with me. Like, nobody told you to do this. Nobody told you to post a black square. You did it. You, you volunteered to do it. So when people expect a little follow through, that should be that should be a given. Yeah. And I I think about this a lot, too. We talked about this with um, a lot of the like what happened with Bud Light, what happened with Target. And, you know, then they just backtrack and make everyone angry. But is I feel like there's a fundamental misunderstanding of, in this case, what it's like to be a trans person. And then when they get like a little taste of that, the company is like, oh, my God. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Like they can't even just for that one second, like if they get this online hate that the cause, the person, the community they're saying they support gets, they get it. And then they're like, never mind. Actually, (laughs) can they have that privilege, that right, that ability to step out and be like, okay, um, I don't want to deal with this anymore, which I think is just very telling of ignorance and um, just like a, oh, sure, let's do this. And then they get that hate and they're like, oh, oh, never mind. Yeah. (laughs) Backtracking. The Dylan Mulvaney thing that you just mentioned, the thing that I will never be over is that Dylan Mulvaney, when she left social media at the height of, of all of this and came back and made that video, said that nobody at Bud Light even called her to be like, hey, are you all right? Like, I'm seeing what's going on. I, that is something that will stick with me forever. That this brand, because she said, happened to say yes when asked to do a brand collaboration with Bud Light, she was, had to go dark, had to probably go into hiding, like, was the target of very severe attacks. And that Bud Light, the company who came to her to bring her into this, couldn't even follow up with an email when they saw all of this happening, how quickly they abandoned her. And I feel like if you are a brand or an institution who is working with marginalized people, if you're not going to stand by them when this stuff kind of stuff happens and when they get into situations that really like you have put them in, but by offering them this, you know, these partnerships, that's just not how you engage people like that. Like at a certain point, it's like, I understand that, Bud Light is a corporation, and I don't expect corporations to, like, care about any of us. Certainly not marginalized Mm -hmm. people. But the people who run Bud Light's marketing or influencer partnerships should really be be taking a good, hard look in the mirror. Because that's just, like, a failure of, like, how to be a human to each other. Like, I, I, like, that just sticks with me. I could not believe that she said that, that nobody even ever reached out to her after. They just, like, dropped her and never ever followed up again. Yeah. And th- that's going back to your point. Um, you know, companies are not b- big companies, especially are not 
are not allies and we shouldn't think of them that way, but they if they post the, the black square, if they, they take these stands, if they say they're going to do something, then yeah, they should absolutely be held accountable. That's just backing away and, and causing real harm. We were telling you a story before we started this. Out of nowhere, someone bought that up. And like, like making these things so politicized that just to have a diversity inclusion person at your company becomes... Oh, well then, hate, like all of this hate, like you keep saying, it's irresponsible. Uh, and it's not taking into account like the reality of working with these groups. Yeah, I think that's ultimately what these people want. I think that they want just working with a trans woman to be a lightning rod. She's not saying anything untoward. Mm. She's not doing anything untoward. She just is because her existence is a lightning rod. Her, her existence is politicized. I think just having a DEI person, just providing a grant for Black women, they want that to be toxic. They want people to know that if you do that, you might be in court. You might, you know, be targeted for a hate campaign. And so to just make it not something that anybody would want to risk. And these companies are so spineless that they're going along with it. It is like they're being held hostage and they're just like, okay, well, they don't want us to have the chicken sausage. They don't want anybody who doesn't eat sausage to be fed at our restaurant. So, okay, we'll drop it. Actually, Cracker Barrel did stand by their sausage choices. I will say that. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's like I, I have been surprised by how these big, huge corporations just kowtow to people who are not serious people who are just interested in flexing their power, their political power for no real reason. I mean, absolutely. We see all of these things actually hurting people. They don't even want to be the face of anything. They just want to exist. Uh, Funds like Fearless Fund is to exist and to help and lift up people that they know need lifting up. The same thing with Target when they had uh, the small businesses with the LGBTQ uh, queer uh, content and then taking them off the Mm -hmm. shelf. Like we just, we were just existing and feeling like we wanted to be the representation that no one else is willing to look at or see or stand behind. And you literally came after them, taking away their money, taking away their existence, uh, causing harm. Because, again, the Mulvaney thing, she was just holding a beer. Yeah. She said, I like Bud Light. Simple. Why can't she choose to do that? And that ended up being a thing of like, well, she is hurting the beer industry. and She is doing these things. No, she's just existing with a product that they sent her. They're not like giving her 50% of the shares of Bud Light. Like that's, what is happening? Like that this whole level of like what people are having to do and they're having to come back and being like, instead of existing, we have to fight for our, our place to exist. And that's such an absurd ideal. Like the, the fact that this has to be done. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this is what Toni Morrison says about racism, and I think it fits to all of what you're saying. The function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says you have no language and you spend 20 years trying to prove that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly, so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says you have no art, so you dredge that up. Somebody says you have no kingdom, so you dredge that up. None of this is necessary. There will always be one more thing. Mm -hmm. So like that quote really speaks to what I think is happening you know, the Fearless Fund, the stats that I just read about Black women entrepreneurs and how little of the funding we get, it shows that the women who are running the Fearless Fund, they have work to do. They have serious work to do to right the wrong and to bake a little more equity into the funding landscape. So they don't really have time to play around with these legal challenges. But yet here they are having to spend their money, money that could go to the funding landscape staffing up a legal team, holding press conferences, 
all of this, it is such a distraction at a time when marginalized people have real work to be doing. Fearless Fund is fighting back. They have a beefy legal team, including the NAACP, Legal Defense Fund, Gibson, Dunn, Crutcher, and Ben Crump, the attorney who represented families of George Floyd and Tyree Nichols um, in their civil suits over the men's killing at the hands of the police. And I feel confident, like, these women are, like, bad women. They are not going down without a fight. Uh, but also, they shouldn't have to, right? Like, they should be able to just do their work and focus on that work. And they should not have to be spending their money on these bogus legal challenges just because they want to exist, just because they want to support other Black women. And I find that, again, we're in this situation that Black women are the ones that have to be the ones to fight. Like, they don't want to. They're tired. They've been doing this. And now we're back again because we know there's a lot, and I know, there's a lot of funds specifically to women, like point blank women. And they surely didn't have to go after them. And I bet they were denied some of those. And they're probably better at that. But yet, if they didn't, that seems silly and that seems very targeted. Yes. So that's very telling. Uh, but like, it, again, it has to be the Black women that has to put up this fight uh, in order to get anything done. I mean, tale as old as time, right? And I think... Right. I, I'm worried about this for a couple of reasons. One is that I think that if these grants and funds that specifically are meant to boost Black women entrepreneurs are deemed unconstitutional, I really don't know what the landscape is going to look like because, as I said, like already so little of that funding goes to us in the first place. But further, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it on the show today is that I don't think it's getting near the same amount of traction and attention that Blum's affirmative action challenges did. And I really think that we need to see white male and white women and really everybody in the startup space, we need to see VCs and entrepreneurs speaking up about this because Blum is essentially arguing that the startup space should basically just be for white people. And I think it's up to everybody in the space to push back and say, like, that is not the kind of funding space that we want. That is not the kind of startup space that we want. And to really make that really clear, like, what kind of a space do we want to have for the next generation of entrepreneurs? Do we want to tell them that the tiny little bit that they that, that might go to them isn't even for them anymore. I don't I don't think that's the space that we want. Right. And absolutely in the same space again, <laughs> this is going to hurt white white women as well. And the, like if we're saying that all of this is too uh, specific and, and it leaves out other people of race. It's going to hurt gender as well. So this is not even just for white people. It's going to be for white men. We're going to have more Elon Musk's running running programs into the ground. That's what we're going to see. A thousand percent. And I mean, kind of like what you were alluding to before, time and time again in tech, particularly when black women challenge things or do things or start things, they uplift all women. And so... Even exactly. if that specific program is for Black women-owned businesses, you're going to tell me that, that a Black woman who is financially supported is not going to go on to do something that's going to lift up all women and all marginalized people? Right. Time and time right. again, we see that that's how it goes with Black women. And so, yeah, I just think that this is just, this is me smacking that ice cream out of my brother's hand when I could have gotten a bite <laughs> instead. <laughs> I mean, we already know that people like to steal white women's products because it's that good. So why not let us have it? Like, it yeah, we're going to get the good. Stop this. So I I hope this is something that we I'm going to be following it. I'll, I'll give folks updates as they come. But I really want to see more folks in the space speaking up about this, because what the Fearless Fund has done has been really great. 
and it's they're really like a good force in the space. And I think mm-hmm. that they we we need them, frankly. We need them. We do. And it's it's a drop in the bucket. Let's just be real honest. Like it's 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 nothing in comparison to what other people get, essentially. And it's like, wow, you really are going after the little groups for nothing. Just just mm-hmm. to make a point and obviously to keep that little bit, as you were saying, in in your pocket instead of seeing what this is actually could do for entire humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, humanity is lost. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, this is very important, too, because obviously a professional litigant Blum here like is going to keep trying. And if this succeeds, then it's going to make things worse for everyone except for a certain group of people and then easier for him to win the next thing and the next thing. So, yes, this is really, really important. And thank you, as always, Bridget, um, for bringing it to us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, everyone who is listening should go out and buy stuff. I'll never told you the book. I just bought it. Let's read it together. <laughs> yes. Yay. Yes. We're hoping to do a little crossover. We'll get to go on your yes, show. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, but in the meantime, Bridget, where can the good listeners find you? You can listen to my podcast. There are no girls on the internet. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC or on Twitter at Bridget Marie. And you can find me on TikTok at Bridget Makes Podcasts. Yes. And we really do appreciate your support with the book. We love it so much. Thank you. Yes, and thank you. Having you on, as always. Uh, <laughs> feeling is so mutual. Yay. <laughs> so, listeners, if you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is Stephanie and MomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at TikTok at Stuff I Never Told You. Uh, we have a T Public store and we, we, yeah, we have a book. We have a book. You can get it at StuffYouShouldReadBooks.com. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina, our executive producer, Maya, and our contributor, Joey. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio, season nine. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season nine is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, 
It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 